it all began the night before Claire was murdered. The night that bastard flew in here. The night shift belonged to Claire. Quiet most time, but not that night. No, sir. Not that night. Welcome to Now Playing's review of The Night Flyer. Why do all the weird ones have to fly at night? Part of the Stephen King movie retrospective series. Your work has been a little lacking lately. Hosted by Arnie. Nice fella. Different. Stuart. Right from the get-go, that fella didn't seem proper. And Jacob. We are brothers in blood, are we not? This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. I'm not stopping! Fuck you! We hope you enjoy the show. It's time to bag this prick. Today, we're discussing The Night Flyer, starring Miguel Ferrer, Julie Entwistle, Dan Monahan, Michael H. Moses, directed by Mark Pavia. This is the now playing co-host who tried to get into Yale and ended up at Illinois State, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is Jacob, and where's my goddamn dead baby? <laughs> well, I, you know, I didn't think I'd have to answer for that tonight, but... <laughs> So, we are back with the last Stephen King Nightmares and Dreamscapes film. Oh, you got me excited. Last Stephen King. I thought we were done, finally. No, just this collection, which I gotta say, fairly miserable. (laughs) Very, yes. (laughs) I feel like even when you don't maybe like all the stories, like usually there's some chestnuts in there. And I mean, Night Shift has good stories. Skeleton Crew had good stories. Even Four After Midnight, I felt like some of them worked. Different seasons, but yeah, other than Dolan's Cadillac and one other one I'll talk about at the end of the show, I feel like it's been hard to read and hard to endure. But I read Night Flyer. Arnie, I assume you did too. Yep. I reread it for this review, and yeah, you know, the collection is what the collection is. I think I have more appreciation for different eras of King's writing, having really gone deep into some of his stuff. But the movies, I'll agree, this has been one of the worst legs of the Stephen King retrospective. It's only better than Night Shift in that there are fewer. Yes, Right. This isn't hasn't been the number of even half the Children of the Corn. So yeah. we've only had to deal with a TV miniseries and three movies. That's not so bad. And what we're here to discuss tonight, The Night Flyer, it flew past me without knowing about it. I thought we were here to discuss another CBS movie, maybe by Mick Garris. I knew nothing about this movie coming in. I am floored that what we are discussing today was a theatrically released film. (laughs) Yeah, it was supposed to be big. Like, all I know is the Weinsteins were really behind this. They thought that this was going to be another big hit for them, like, Scream or something? Like, again, this would have been that era. Like, we're going to put this out, and this is going to be the kind of hit that, like, we're known for at Dimension. Remember, Bob was really into cult horror and niche horror. Bob was the power behind Dimension. And so 
Yeah, I'm actually really glad that Bob got behind some crazy stuff. Are you glad that he got a copy of The Night Flyer? Which, again, not even one of Stephen King's better stories. Can I ask, you guys read it, like, I'm going to guess 10 pages long by the amount of filler they got to put in this film? Oh no, very long. (laughs) Like 60 pages. What? Yeah. They have nothing in this film. Wow. Okay. It's essentially the same thing, only they create for dramatic reasons the rivalry with the young female reporter. That's the main difference between page and screen. Yeah, some of the dialogue is the same. This might as well be a Mick Garris production. I couldn't believe how faithful it was to the page. It was shocking. Yeah, I wrote down a lot of dialogue, and I'm like, ooh, I got a bad feeling. This is actually Stephen King writing these lines. Yeah, Mark Pavia, I don't know who this director is, and he doesn't really appear to have... He did a couple maybe real, like, you'll see the box at the blockbuster horror movies, but you'd never dare to rent it. I know Stephen King has that whole deal, dollar babies, right? If you pay him a dollar... He'll let you make a shitty version because it doesn't really get distributed. Is Maybe that's all it took for him to greenlight this night flyer because it doesn't look like much. But yes, Dimension wanted to put this out in theaters and then something went kaflooey during distribution. And for reasons, it wound up airing on HBO about four months before it went to whatever movie theaters dared to take it in February 1998. Paramount wanted it. But they were going to release it in October 98. But they had European investors. No, those European investors. And it would break the contract with the investors if it didn't premiere before then. So they got it on HBO in November 1997. And then New Line took it in February 98 to theaters. So this is like our first direct-to-streaming movie ever. I, I was going to say, is this where HBO Max got the idea? Yeah, I, I don't think this is one of HBO's finest. They, <laughs> they've had a lot of quality original programming, and this feels like scraps. I would agree with you with the Dollar Baby bit if it wasn't for the presence of Miguel Ferrer. He is the only one, not the director, not the writers, not the special effects, not even Stephen King adds legitimacy to this production. Only the presence of Miguel Ferrer, who, you know, he may not be a $10 million get, but he is a working and respected character actor. He would cost much more than a dollar baby could afford to get on here as the lead. I will agree that Ferrer is like the one thing that gave me hope. Like, it might be TV good. Because it has Miguel Ferrer. Like, that's the best it could go for. But yeah, like, there's something that he's there. Like, maybe. And I kind of thought that, like, yes, the short story is lacking. It's basically a vampire that uses a black airplane to fly around and murder people at an airport. Kind of cool. I mean, the idea of, like, that you could treat little airports like gas station bathrooms. That you could prey upon people and kill them because nobody is there was an interesting idea. Stuart, Stuart, vampires turn to bats and they can fly. I don't know why he needs an airplane. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, I, I don't know, like it adds a, an extra layer to think about a, a vampire that doesn't want to turn into a bat and fly and needs, yes, aviation to get him to the next stop. Chicks dig airplanes. Yeah, right. Yeah. And have you seen this one? I mean, I see one of the chicks he gets with in this. I, I don't know. She's like 80. <laughs> Well, why don't we get into it? Because there's not a whole lot to it. Arnie, give him the plot and we can discuss what the Night Flyer got out of these serial killings. 
Miguel Ferrer plays Richard Dees, reporter for the junk tabloid called Inside View. He's not a nice person, but he's a good reporter, though burned out and off his game. Debatable. <laughs> he finds his spark again when he's assigned to the case of a serial killer. This murderer flies a black Cessna plane, landing along the eastern states and killing those at the airfield. Dees nicknames this man the Night Flyer. He follows the trail, thinking he's after a nut job who thinks he's a vampire, but one night at a deserted airfield in North Carolina, he's confronted by the killer, who is a real vampire. The night flyer doesn't kill the reporter, but warns him to stop following him. The vampire makes Dees drink his blood, and that gives Dees a vision of the murdered victims coming back to life as zombies. Dees tries to attack them with an axe, and when the police arrive, they don't see any zombies, they see several of the Night Flyer's victims and an axe-wielding maniac. They shoot and kill Dees. Junior reporter Catherine Blair arrives and sees the Night Flyer, but she instead writes a sensationalistic headline that pegs Dees as the serial killer as credits roll. That plot summary seemed as short as several of the episodes of Nightmares and Dreamscapes, the TV <laughs> series. There is not a lot of plot here. <laughs> yeah, if you cut out all the scenes of people just, like, walking for a really long time, there you go. It, it is 40 minutes long. All right, let's start with some positives, if we can. Again, I'll go with the idea that we're chasing a fandom vampire who is using modern-day technology to disguise the fact that this is how a vampire in 1997 is going to find his victims. We're going to fly to airfields and podunk towns, and they're just not going to suspect until it's too late. We see this first kill, Buck Kendall, in a upstate New York airport, get his... We pretty much see everything but the face of this vampire. They're going to spend most of the movie teasing who is the guy behind the cloak. Look, they're going to go with that silhouette, and that collar does not work for me with that silhouette. It, <laughs> it makes it look silly. Oh, it looks funny. I agree. I do love, though, yeah, this air traffic controller yells, Jesus, save me. I'm like, we're on the same page, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're doing some prayers. Well, let me ask, what version of this movie did you see? Because it may be different depending on whether you saw the theatrical cut or the director's <laughs> cut. Mm. Oh, I didn't know there was different versions. I didn't know there was multiple cuts. I saw what was on YouTube. I just went in there and searched for knife. This thing is not available. Like, you can't rent it. It was hard to find. And it's not like any streaming service doesn't have it. Like I just, I went, I tried to take my money, please. I'm ready to do the night flyer. And there was no professional copies for purchase. I just had to go with what someone had presumably taped off of HBO 30 years ago. That's probably the theatrical cut. I did see the <laughs> director's cut thanks to an internationally purchased DVD. No. Okay. Well. And from what I understand, the differences are a couple of minutes, primarily consisting of extra gore in the shots. So hmm. I may have seen a bloodier version than the two of you saw. You're going to have to add a lot of blood to save this thing. All right. Miguel Ferrer, though. Yes. Albert from Twin Peaks. Always a enjoyable curmudgeon. Oh, no. He's he's Robocop to me now and forever. Yes. <laughs> oh, Okay. Well, they each their own. But it's funny, you, you like, this is the role he always plays, right? My wife the whole time was saying, why is he so angry? I'm like, it's Miguel Ferrer. He's always angry. That's what he does. Yes. Yeah, this is his thing. When he was younger, I feel he had more range. 
But now that he's gotten to this point in his life, like, I feel even in The Stand, three years before this, there was more range in his acting, but it seemed like at a certain point, he was just going to start doing this really down-inflected, line after line, never crack a smile, and just be the sardonic hard-ass for every job for the rest of his career, be it on TV or film. Well, I mean, you you are familiar with the career of Nick Cage or anybody, but Bruce Willis, anybody that finds themselves in straight-to-tape Stephen King adaptations probably is not giving their best. But Richard Dees, we have talked about him before, although briefly. He is a character King originally wrote for The Dead Zone and was a reporter who was trying to prove Johnny a hoax, and it was much more in the book of the reporter harassing Johnny and things like that. So this is a returning character to the Stephen King universe. No, okay. Obviously, I wouldn't remember something like that. But this is Miguel Ferrer, nothing against him. Like I said, I, I was excited to see who's popping up in this, but he doesn't have a diehard in his pocket. Like, he can't be that choosy. Like, he should give a little bit because he's got a lot to prove. And he's given a little bit here, but his character makes no sense. Nope. One of the big problems I have with this movie is that we're going to find out that he works for Inside View, obviously some kind of riff on Inside Edition and all those tabloid rags. But who takes that job seriously? Like, if you're writing about Bat Boy and Satan children and all of that, you're not trying to win the Pulitzer. That's what I was trying to figure out. Is this a tabloid as in TMZ or is this the weekly world news because they're talking about alien abduction? That Those are two different things. Yeah, no, this is weekly world news. These are like obviously made up stories. Okay, no one's serious. The people did not believe in Bat Boy. Like no one should be this angry working for the weekly world news then. I'll say this. Weekly world news would never publish legitimate photos of dead babies. And that's right. where we are introduced to this character storming into his editor's office where's my dead baby photo <laughs> and again i just want to clarify it's a dead satan baby like the story was running that this was the antichrist and somehow he got a picture of the mauled thing in the crypt so does he believe in the supernatural like right from the beginning i don't know how to gauge things because i don't know what kind of tabloid this is like he takes it so serious like this is the world of ghostbusters there's just supernatural stuff going on and he's photographing it i think he's cynical i think we see him not take the case originally because he believes vampires are passe boy he doesn't know what's coming in the next decade <laughs> <laughs> the the dawn of twilight is upon you but the point is that yes he just thinks eh like, vampires are, are too boring for me. I need something with more juice in it. And yeah, this will be a story of him being convinced that the supernatural is real. What kind of life has he lived where vampires are boring? I'd have trouble taking this assignment, too, because I don't know if you guys know the actor playing the editor here, Dan Monahan. Pee-wee! He, yeah, he's Pee-wee from Porky's. From three of the Porky's films, in fact. So, I'd have trouble taking a job from Pee-wee, too. Oh, no, like, everything feels so low-rent. Like, when I was watching this, I'm like, this has to be TV. I was shocked to read on Wiki that it would got a theatrical release. I would have loved to have seen this in theaters. My international DVD was still in old-school four-to-three ratio. It wasn't even letterboxed. You feel like you got ripped off because you didn't get letterboxed version of this? <laughs> Does it matter? Yeah, come on. Like, that's going to help anything? Well, I want to know 
did I lose part of the picture? Because there's nothing that was no. cut off that's going to save this, Arnie. No, Arnie. <laughs> stop. The opening credits, the font of the opening credits screams TV movie to me. Yes. So how this was in the theater, I just don't believe it, is I guess what I'm saying. My theater dug in. I know Wiki says this went to a theater. I want to know somebody who saw this in a theater. I don't care if you saw the movie. If you went to a theater and saw the Night Flyer was playing at that theater, because I don't believe it. And I think the reason why you're being so adamant about this point is this really has all the smell and stink of those straight-to-tape Stephen King stuff that just... You know, even when they're not good, even when they're maximum overdrive or... Graveyard shift. Yeah, exactly. Some really crappy short stories have been turned into Stephen King features. But when they get theatrical distribution, there's a level of quality that is absent when you get to that junk, like sometimes they come back three. Yeah, and again... Watch these opening credits. Look where they appear. Look how they're timed. Look at their font. It feels like growing pains. It does not feel like a theatrical film. It's just, and I can't describe it more than how it feels and how cheap it looks. But I don't mind the cheap. I'm going to say that if this were an episode of a, you know, Tales from the Dark Side, we've mentioned this a couple times now, if this were shoehorned into an anthology series, which is obviously the most they could hope to get out of this successfully, then I think I would be okay with this level of production. Miguel Ferrer is an enjoyable curmudgeon. Those effects in the beginning aren't great, like the character getting slashed in the face or whatever, but they're good enough for junk. If you're just wanting to watch mindless horror junk, this intro is not the problem. But it was a common saw in the 1990s that probably no profession was spat upon more, maybe lawyers. But other than that, if you were a reporter, a journalist, you were seen as a muckraker. You were seen as someone that misrepresented truth and hurt people's lives. So it was just easy to characterize people in this profession as the problem. So nothing's changed in 2021. Well, let's give Stephen King some credit. He wrote this story in the late 80s. So he was ahead of the curve. Sure. But they've emphasized this. This is not, if you read the story, they don't spend this much time on how awful his rag is. And they certainly don't have this rivalry with Catherine Blair, who is uh, like filling in on a reporter that hated her job so much. She put a <laughs> laundry bag over her head and got in. I understand you get into the bathtub when you slit your wrists. Why would you suffocate yourself in a bathtub? <laughs> that seems really weird. Well, it's. You know, a nice hot tub, a good way to go, a glass of wine. <laughs> it relaxes you, just fall asleep, yeah. Again, I don't want to think about ways to kill myself. I'm going to say I'm really glad for this movie, though, because I read that line, a dry cleaning bag over her head, and I kept thinking about the nylon bag I used to take my shirts to and from the cleaners. Like, they give me a bag, I'm like, could I suffocate in that? But that's one they give me to put the clothes in. They meant one of those clear bags that they put over the stuff. So I was glad to see the movie to help me clarify my interpretation of her suicide. Yeah, and here they actually go the extra step by saying that Richard Dees, Miguel Ferrer, was the one that when he got there took a photo. He's a heartless individual because he sees a like tragic instance. Later he'll go and just happen upon a roadside accident. He always sees an opportunity to profit off blood. And in fact... His nickname is the Godfather of Gore. If you notice, that's how they bill him in this magazine, Inside View. 
But yes, we do have this new cub reporter. He's going to call her Jimmy for Jimmy Olsen, this whole movie. And this is completely made up for this movie. This character of Catherine, who I looked up this actress, Julie Entwistle, because I thought, you know, she looks cuter than this movie deserves. Fake Phoebe Cates, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she has a TV career or something. I looked her up. She's only worked in one other thing. She was in the movie In and Out as student. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) But she is the director's wife, so. Okay. Yeah, that's how she got the job, and that's probably why she didn't have much of a career. If you're wondering why someone this cute and talented didn't go on, that's what happens when you choose poorly. (laughs) (laughs) She should have waited for Mick Harris instead of settling for Mark Pavia. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I feel comfortable saying that. Usually I don't like to weigh in on people's personal choices, but you don't marry the director of Night Flyer. You just don't. Then for Dan Monahan, is this what Porky's gets you? Is this a punishment? Like you're in those Porky's <laughs> films, now you got to be in this. I didn't realize that this was a Porky. I don't think I've ever seen a Porky's movie, but yeah, this feels very broad. When he's again, and it was very easy to like treat newspaper editors as like if it bleeds, it leads kind of stereotypes. But this, all of this stuff is really over the top, and I would appreciate more of the idea that this was a man who knows he's making a bullshit, and then surprise, surprise, oh my God, it's a real vampire like that to me is a more interesting dramatic turn than somebody that's like oh if i can photograph the worst of humanity and print it then like i'm going to get i don't know rich does this guy seem successful i i just he has no respect i thought it was so obvious what they're doing like i thought there was going to be a moment a confrontation with the vampire where he's like we're the same you you suck people's energy too and, and feed off the worst of humanity just like me like i think i think that's the point of this film but i really thought there'd be a confrontation where they'd spill it out because it's wow they really like go for it they do i feel like that's the entire end of this film is him saying exactly that that is true they do have a few lines about that at the end oh yeah and i agree and it shouldn't be like i want to just put out there if you read the story where you want to spend more of your time is finding out where does this vampire come from why does he choose the victims he does? Where was he going next? Why does he need an airplane? How about we know nothing about him? <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, instead, we're given nothing. Instead, again, maybe because of budget, or maybe because Miguel Ferrer, they just feel like D's is the most important thing. They give him all the screen time, and I really feel like... That's a mistake. We want this to be a horror movie. You got a vampire traveling around. We certainly don't need for him to double back and see the airports where people have already been killed. We need to see new kills. You know what I mean? Like the fact that he spends act two going back and looking at places that have already been attacked feels like uh, unnecessary. And long, drawn-out stories being told. Drawn-out, yes. I really do imagine the screenwriter of this as one of two things. Either he read Stephen King's short story and decided every page must be put in there, plus more, including every word of dialogue. When Miguel Ferrer is talking to that old mechanic, everything that old mechanic says straight out of the short story. Or he writes this story... And he realizes he's 30 pages short of a feature and goes back and starts adding all this stuff in. Either way, it's not looking great for Pavia, who also was listed as a writer on this, along with co-writer 
Jack O'Donnell. And I want to say it's no excuse. If you have to expand a story, there's plenty of good movies that have taken short stories and been turned into feature films. That's not the sin here. The sin is that you didn't imagine more. Like, again, we have a vampire here, and I ask any of you, what's his motive? What's he doing? Why is he going? Why is he called this name? Like, it's Dwight Renfield? Where did they get that? They do explain that. No, no. What we heard was somebody say that there was an actor named Dwight who played Renfield in the Bella Lugosi 1931 Dracula. But why would that, why would a vampire take that name? I mean, should he choose like Bob Smith, something less suspicious or? For someone that doesn't want press, that's all I'm saying. I wouldn't go around in a black airplane. I guess he feels like because he can hypnotize people. We'll find out. That many people have seen this plane but can't remember the number on the tail and can't remember details. And even though there's warnings from the FAA about a serial killer coming down from the skies, uh, no one takes precautions because I guess what we don't see, and certainly what I don't feel, is that this vampire has charm. He can use his powers to make people drop their guard. I don't feel like we ever see this vampire do much. He'll attack someone in a trailer and, like, Cut them all up. I thought you just want to drink their blood. Why are you beating them up? It makes no sense. Yes. It's the Sarch killings. The Sarch killings are where we see the most of of how he seduces. That it's not just about drinking the blood. He also wants really old, like, golden girls. Kind of. Like, bring me my golden girl. (laughs) Yeah, I thought, you know, I've been watching What We Do in the Shadows, the, the television series. I've seen the movie as well. So I'm very familiar with the concept of native soil. A lot of jokes about native soil in that TV series. But I know in the mm. film, there is a whole joke where a vampire, oh, I got to find this girl that I loved. And he finally finds her and she's like 90 years old. And that's the joke. Oh, she's so young. And like, I'm, is that what they're going for here? Is this some old flame of his? Like, <laughs> why is he going after this grandma? What? Again, you could just ask why and stop there. Like, we will never get an explanation for what this night flyer is doing never nothing that he does is ever articulated missed opportunity if you've taken a short story which doesn't have to explain anything which was just literally about like all teas and you could do that in a campfire tale you don't have to tell whys in a campfire tale but in a feature film you kind of do and there are none yeah there are so many just shots of d's first of all richard d's Rick D's, right? Rick D's? Is Stephen King a fan of the DJ? Yeah, I was thinking of Disco Duck. Uh-huh, that's him. I was I was also thinking, every time they called him D's, I'm just thinking D's nuts. <laughs> yes! <Okay. laughs> I, I wasn't thinking that. But there are so many shots. Like, that, that's my review of these films. D's nuts. No, but so many shots of D's just, like, walking around or a character just walking around. And, yeah, you could tell us anything. It would be more interesting than walking around. Yeah, well, and being awful. Again, like, because we haven't had enough scenes... Like, almost everything he does is cruel. Like, he goes to the gravesite of one victim and, like, slashes his own finger to throw blood on it, kicks it over, like, steals flowers from another plot to make it look perfect. Throws away the living flowers so he can put dead flowers on it. And then he takes this photo with an on-camera flash. This thing's gonna be washed out, (laughs) ugly, flat. He's setting up all this scene just to take a shit photo. Well, and I'm just confused because I'm like, oh, is is he going to like, is he kicking over the tombstone because he's going to like dig up the grave and the person's not going to be there because they're actually a vampire? No, he's just staging photo because he's just like a vampire. He feeds off people too. 
And Catherine, again, because she's a woman, I feel like, and new at this game, and fresh face and cute and all of that. She's trying to learn, like, she respects him for some reason, but, like, their first scene together is at some dive bar. She asks for his <laughs> philosophy, and it's never believe what's published and never publish what you believe. She ends up leaving in tears. Again, he's so cruel. What he's going to do to her? Lock her in a closet by the end of this. That is a little much. I can understand being cruel, but the moment you start getting into physical restraints and assault, <laughs> I think it's a little much. I'm glad you have your limits. Yes. Yeah, I want to lock this screenwriter in a closet because we see her pack everything. Like, I'm, I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, oh, she just need to be trapped in the closet. Why did we watch her pack up her entire suitcase? Well, again, the, the whole thing is we're supposed to be rooting for her. And at every given turn, Dee's is cruel and malicious. And it's, so it's a comeuppance. This is a morality tale. This is an EC comics. This is in the tradition of those creep shows where we saw somebody do something despicable and the supernatural is going to wield its justice. This would make sense in 30 minutes, but stretched to 90 minutes, excruciating. And it's really hitting me because Ferrer is just so one note. And sure, that's what they gave him. He's doing what's on the script, but it's just driving home like, yeah, he, the angry guy, like play the angry guy. You're good at that, but you're always the side character. We're not getting the angry guy for 90 minutes. You're, you're walking in on a scene in Twin Peaks and being the angry guy. It's not something you could sustain and it's just driving home. This is why you're the side character that I like in stuff, but you're not the main character. He just doesn't have the presence. Well, here's the thing to ask. It's like pretty early on, he gets like a message in blood on his hotel window, stay away. And then, like, you should know pretty early. By the time you see a corpse drained of blood with holes in the neck, you should be thinking there's some credence to this vampire thing. But I never see how that plays out or what that means to this character. Like, for him, it's just about getting this story it's really not about the fact that, like, oh, my God, there's actually a vampire. Yeah, does he believe there's a vampire? Again, he took a baby of the Antichrist, but he's like, ah, vampires, whatever. Like, it's so hard to gauge him and, and figure out where he's at at any point in this film as he's having dogs bark at him and, yeah, blood written on his windows. I'm influenced by the short story, but I take it as he thought he was after a crazy human didn't believe in vampires. But he took a picture of the Antichrist as a baby. Like, why wouldn't you believe in vampires? No, he took a picture of a dead baby and wrote an Antichrist story around it, which I think that there's a difference there. But what he says, and I mean, he's monologuing to nobody because otherwise there would be nothing for him to do at all in this movie. He's mostly alone. But what he says is he was confronted by the gravekeeper when he was desecrating that grave for the photo. He thinks it was the graveyard maintenance guy who put stay away on his window that night. Yeah, he always has an explanation for why it might be happening. But maybe the most confusing part of this movie, like he has his pilot's license. So he's literally chasing in an airplane, this other airplane. But like at one point he's in the car and I was like, wait, why did this happen? And later they'll explain that he wasn't allowed to fly into the airport in Duffery. He had to like go park somewhere else and, and rent a car or whatever. Long story short, he winds up at this car accident. It's also he can take pictures of little kids that have been run over by cars. And he has a premonition. Like he looks in, takes a picture and he will see a body that he will see later at the Wilmington airport flash frame in front of him. Like, 
psychic like shining he's got the shining yeah that's what i wrote down the shining okay i do feel like they're doing stephen kingish things later there's a rabid dog on a roof for some reason that chases him too yeah cujo (laughs) my note yeah i i wasn't even thinking cujo you know dracula often has hounds that protect him and Hellhounds, yes. Oh, you didn't think Cujo? You weren't thinking like, oh, we got to do Stephen King. I thought a clown was coming next. I mean, it just <laughs> seemed like we're just running down the list of Stephen King things. I mean, we'll talk about that vampire makeup. I think there may be a clown. <laughs> they do say that this plane initially took off from Derry, which is home of Pennywise. And, you know, we know that Stephen King did his vampire story in Salem's Lot. So, again, it just feels like a cornucopia of his greatest hits kind of meshed all together without a clear sense of of why and more importantly we're not seeing the reporter find the story he keeps going from place to place but he's not really learning anything new like yeah i get it it's a vampire but what why how how are you going to defeat him none of that comes up we just find out that like (laughs) the golden girl like went to her beautician two weeks early so she could look extra (laughs) sensuous is the word (laughs) that is used (laughs) She's got some color put in her hair. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It still looked gray, though. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing. Is this the director's mom? He's put his wife in here. You know, sensuous has a totally different meaning at the retirement home. Yeah, I don't know how he's getting these actors, but it does feel like if you like stories about reporters, even if you can buy that they work for this rag and and are are self-important this way, I'm not seeing a story come together. It just feels drawn out, and that's a bad feeling when a movie is 90 minutes long. Might I add, some of the transitions also are fade to black, pause, and come back, making me think that there's a commercial break there. (laughs) I know, you're not going to rest until someone admits that this was a TV movie. But I don't know, Artie. Maybe it was intended for theaters. I cannot say. HBO didn't have commercials, did they? I'm just saying, when you say drawn out, all I keep thinking of are these long stretches that, to me, feel like moments between commercial breaks where I would have turned this off. Yeah. It's a disappointment because I had heard that this was one of the better stories and that this was some kind of underrated movie. Who told you that? Maybe I read it on a box or I don't know. (laughs) Obviously from a liar, from a big old fat liar that should never be listened to. Because when you have scenes of the vampire like sending him Bloody Marys at the bar and then disappearing, (laughs) you know you don't need to watch this no more. Yeah, when the vampire's buying him drinks and having the waiter send them over, like, I'm cracking up. It's so dumb. (laughs) Give it this, though. The director had 30 days to make this film start to finish, and he finished it in 29. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll give him that. If that's what matters. (laughs) What did, what did, yeah, what does he get by being given that? I give him a lot more than that, actually, because when we actually get to like, they're pairing up and they're going to work together. And it basically means that they're just all going to call all the near airports and see if anyone sounds hypnotized. And they basically, when they call Wilmington and they're like, have you seen the serial killer airplane? And he's like, uh, no. <laughs> That's it. That's where he is. We got to go. We got our climax. Well, it wasn't just no. It was no and then get hung up on. Yeah, and hung up. They look extra guilty. Catherine 
has shown back up and yeah, you get this little montage where she's furiously crossing off phone numbers as they call them. It's, it is, it's so desperate. Like, yeah, trying to find anything to do, trying to feel like an actual movie. <laughs> These European investors, they not speak English. Like that's why they were okay with the script. <laughs> yeah. There's not any nudity or blood either. It should be said that usually you pacify a horror audience. Like plot isn't it, right? Characterization. That's not the thing that gets a successful low budget horror movie. It's blood. And I don't know, the effects in here aren't that bad. I mean, they're cheesy, but I feel like when we see this torn head, when we see the violence, it looks okay. I mean, it's done by the people that did the vampire effects in From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, I found my version to be appropriately gory. I mean, I suppose it would be a soft R for what I saw. Definitely there were some cuts to faces and some close-ups of gore that I think would probably be beyond PG-13, but not a ton of it anywhere. It would have to play on cable. It would not be network or even serialized TV at this point in in the 90s. You couldn't run it after X-Files. No, no. But HBO would take it, sure. Yeah, well, they did. And and then we all took it. So anyway, let's get to this climax. So Dee's, after they find out that, yes, the vampire's in Wilmington, he locks Catherine in the closet, flies there, and like I'm like, oh, this is the end of it, because I remember there's like pages left, and I look at the clock, there's 27 minutes left on the runtime of this movie, and we have him running around the airport, like, I don't know, looking in planes at... Why is there so much blood all over the plane? Like, if he's drinking blood, he should not be spilling it all over everything. I don't know. That's what I was saying when he was attacking that old lady's man in the trailer. Like, there's blood mm-hmm. all over the place. But then the cops are like, and there was a, a body on the bed and no blood on it. I'm like, bullshit. There's blood everywhere. <laughs> True. And what do we make of the fact that he has, like, this wedding scrapbook of, like, looks like he was one of the Wright brothers or something, (laughs) and, like, he's been a vampire since the dawn of airplane is that how he met a vampire and got turned was he was flying up there and a bat got him i don't know (laughs) you know maybe he was the night carriageman before there were airplanes and he was taking his horses town to town it's the writer and i don't mean stephen king but it is the screenwriter's job to fill in these huge gaps we need answers for this we cannot spend all of this time contemplating this without any answers and yet here we are sitting literally in a plane full of blood and dirt and maggots waiting for anything to happen. And it takes a long time for anything to happen. But finally, after locking her in the closet, he eventually gets down to North Carolina. And there's this long, drawn-out scene. He sees all these corpses. I mean, every scene is long and drawn out. Yeah. One of the men he was taking photos of has something in his mouth. What is that coming out of his mouth? At first, I thought it was drool on my copy, but it's a silver chain, and he pulls it out. (gasps) It's a crucifix. Yeah, again, this is what he had a premonition of back at the roadside accident. What this all means, couldn't tell you, but it makes him run and go vomit in the bathroom. And then we finally have the meetup. This is where... Renfield is going to pee blood into the urinal and then walk by and break every mirror. (laughs) Yeah, no reflection because it's a mirror, but you see vampires piss blood? I've never heard that lore. I never thought about it, but I guess it kind of makes sense. Does it? How is his kidney functioning today? 
I mean, if he doesn't drink water, I think if he's, I don't know, like if like blood is the only thing he takes <laughs> in, but I don't think he has to process the waste. If he eats asparagus, does the blood have a funny smell? Vampires cannot eat; it will make them sick. Yeah. Well, that's an Anne Rice lore. At any rate, most bizarre of all, this vampire has been saying, stay away, don't follow me, whatever you do, don't come near me. And now he's like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? Yeah, he calls him my would-be biographer. So I'm thinking that this vampire wants some publicity or wants some attention, but then he ruins the film. However, I will say, in the short story, Dees had never developed any of these Throughout this movie, we have seen Dees look longingly at his photographs and ruefully at his photographs. So there's tons of prints around. But he ruins one spool of film that was probably taken just a few minutes ago. And then says, stop following me and don't tell anyone about me. But I think it's because they're both vampires he's going to let him live. He's going on about how, you know, we're the same. And I mean, I think he's speaking metaphorically, but you called out that Dees did drink some vampire blood, and again, in some vampire lore, like, that is part of the turning process, is you drink some of the blood they ingested, and and then they bite you and suck some blood, like, so I don't know if he's supposed to be a vampire or not. This is after this scene, though. Well, Renfield in the Dracula story is the assistant. Yeah, there's a familiar. Yeah, what they're they're trying to say is that Dees is playing that role to this Count Dracula of the, you know, friendly skies. But the... Drinking of the blood only happens after the bathroom scene when Dees follows him again and says, let me look at you. And that's when the vampire comes up and we get to see some really cheesy makeup effects. Really, really bad. Eh, kind of enjoyable. Yeah, if this was the right kind of film, if it knew what it was, that could have been fun. At least it's something, right? I mean, would you stand for the fact if he walked away or just looked like a guy with a widow's peak? If he was just a normal dude, I'd have been so mad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he is going to turn to a human being at one moment. And like, if that had just been like some random actor with a widow's peak, I wouldn't stand for it. But it's when we see the vampire face that Dees is forced to drink the blood. And I thought that meant Dees was becoming a vampire. But I guess it's just a hallucinogen. Like he's really tripping balls from drinking vampire blood and seeing every dead person, whether the vampire killed them or they drown themselves with a cleaning bag in a bathtub, he's going to have visions of them all. Yeah, again, this is where we're supposed to think that this is some morality tale about being a muckraking journalist. Except he works for a cheesy news mag that nobody believes, and nobody goes to these extremes to get the story. Like, this is just my problem with with this whole characterization. It's like, no, he needed to be a real reporter then. You make a satire about what reporters are like, that makes sense to call him a vampire at the end. But you say that he literally writes stories about vampires every day, and this doesn't just doesn't play. And I get the irony, you know, the point is that, yes, he looks like the killer when he's swinging that axe around and the cops arrive. But I think that they wouldn't have shot him had he not seen Catherine. Catherine shows up too. Somehow she got out of the closet (laughs) and he's ready to chop her up. Like, he's like, don't take my story. Is that what he was running at it for? I couldn't tell what exactly was going on there. 
No, he is not like coming at them until she walks into the airport. And then he's like, I'm going to get you. Yeah, I just took it as some kind of rivalry and she's there and he's gone crazy. So why not try to kill her? Yeah. Well, and the cops are going to protect an innocent lady who has a bad man covered in blood with an axe coming at her. And then she gets the front page story she's been wanting. We get the irony that you never believe what you write or write what you believe. She knows that Dee's is not the serial killer. She knows the vampire is still, she sees him. He gets in the airplane. He's going to go and kill more people, but that's not the story they print. Who cares? We're moving on. Dee's is our night flyer, and she's now their head writer. So, with that, Jacob, Stuart, do you recommend the night flyer? Jacob. I just don't understand anything about this movie or TV show, whatever it is, whatever it wants to call itself, whatever it translates to, to those European investors, like whatever this thing is, <laughs> I don't get it. Like, is this a trashy tabloid? If so, why does these care so much about his journalistic integrity? If there's like actual supernatural stuff they're investigating, then why doesn't he believe in vampires? Like, I just... Don't know what's going on here. This hard-boiled journalist thing doesn't work. You you need some kind of other motivation. Just like we need motivation for the vampire in this. Like, who is he? What's his backstory? We get one note from Miguel Ferrer. And look, maybe that's what was on the page. Maybe that's what the director told him to do. But I need something else. I, I needed a break from that whole act. And Catherine is not it. Like, tape up that ticket. Let's fly out of here. Don't spend your time with this film. Not recommend. Strong not recommend. Stewart. Yeah, again, another example of why you don't stretch Stephen King short stories into feature films. There's not enough there. Just because he has 50 pages doesn't mean that they warrant that many pages. You really have the beginning, really. If you look at the story, this should be the kickoff. It should be a tabloid reporter is chasing a serial killer, finds out he's a vampire. Now let's write act two. Let's find out what they do together. Let's find out where this vampire came from. Let's answer all the questions that comes from the irony that a tabloid reporter has a lot in common with a bloodsucker of the night. But, like, that just goes beyond the scope of these filmmakers. They're not looking to try and elaborate or improve upon the Stephen King story. They got 30 days to finish this, Stuart. Yeah, and maybe... That's an excuse, but I still think you could take three of those and write interesting scenes. And yeah, this had atmosphere. The makeup effects worked for me in a cheesy Quicksilver Highway kind of way. Like if you had either turned this into a half hour Tales from the Dark Side, I would give it a pass. Or you had answered some of my questions in a feature, I'd probably go with this. But as it is, this thing doesn't fly, it drags. It's a not recommend. I'll agree with you, Stuart, that this would work if it were 30 minutes long. I'd even go with this kind of ironic twist ending, and I'd go with these stupid makeup effects if this was Tales from the Dark Side or something like that from the 80s and maybe the 90s, not if it was done like as part of the creep show show that's out tonight. Although that's cheap. (laughs) Not this cheap. Mm. Not as cheap as the Creep Show 3 movie. Mm. So, looking at what we have here, it is just too long for the story that is given, and they don't add anything to the short story. I didn't hate the short story, so I could say, yeah, if you want to read it, read it. You could probably read it faster than this movie goes by, but this movie... I like Miguel Ferrer, by and large, but you're right, Jacob, he shouldn't be a leading man, and he definitely shouldn't be the leading man of this film. So... I wish that I could say something nice about this at all. 
and I can't. It's just another bad King adaptation, neither the worst nor the best, somewhere in the middle. You know, it's better than Lawnmower Man 2, although not nearly as funny. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to look at the direct-to-video stuff, it's some of the highest. I mean, is that the game we want to play? Yeah, it is the game that we have to play of like slightly worse than Pet Cemetery 2, but better than sometimes they come back to. Like, this is what we're doing. This is better than Dolan's Cadillac. Can we all agree better than Christian Slater buried in the car? Sure. I was still super bored, though. Like, I, this, I don't want to play this game. I feel like this is Alien versus Predator. We all lose. No matter who wins, we all lose. Yeah. I don't know. Dolan's Cadillac. The pacing was better. Yeah, exactly. It, there's something about that. It was so caustic. There's just something about like feeling claustrophobic with like Christian Slater yelling all the time. <laughs> yelling racial epithets at that. <laughs> yeah, like just uh, like so offensive. This is Miguel Ferrer just yelling the whole time. Well, there's something a little bit more tolerable about his approach. He's locking a woman in a closet. Like there's... <laughs> I, uh, yes. Again, none of it's good. And I think I can say with relief, we're probably done with nightmares and dreamscapes, except for one story. Maybe the best story in the collection has been option. Chris Evans signed up to do it. Captain America wants this to happen. They were going into production and then I don't know what happened. Maybe it got shot and shelved or maybe it's never going to come together. But 10 o'clock people is probably the only other thing from Nightmares and Dreamscapes you could save. It's kind of fun premise. It's like <laughs> Stephen King imagines the saviors of the world. It's they live, basically. Aliens are among us. They're running all the corporate companies. And like the only people that can see what's going on are the smokers. Stephen King is convinced that all the 10 o'clock people are those people that have to step outside their job at 10 a.m. to go smoke a cigarette. And because they're consuming that nicotine, it allows their eyes to somehow see what nobody else can see. And the whole reason that smoking is being banned and you can't do it in restaurants anymore and all of that is that the aliens are trying to take over and don't want you to know the truth. That sounds like a fun idea. Are they running the quit smoking thing from Cat's Eye? Yeah, it, it does feel like Quitters <laughs> Incorporated crossover could happen. But I enjoyed that story, and I do think it would make a fun, campy B-movie should it get made. It's the only thing I would rescue from that horrible, horrible anthology collection. I wonder if that movie will ever actually get made. Uh, it would be... I can't imagine that it would be good. I just can't imagine. <laughs> Well, again, it's hard. We, we've suffered a bit with these blows. I mean, you guys enjoyed Quicksilver Highway. I kind of enjoyed it with irony, but I'm kind of glad we're taking a king break. We're not done with horror, though. It should be said, we're just getting started with this new year, 2022. We got Scream 5 next week, two My Bloody Valentines, and a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre all on the way soon. And to continue horror this Friday... We have two more Paranormal Activity films. This one is the one that was supposed to cap off the entire series. They'll close the book on Paranormal Activity and take us into the ghost dimension. Which, surprisingly, just looks like 3D. Apparently, this is their 3D movie. I don't know how found footage looks good with glasses on, but you'll probably tell us, Arnie. I think you got the 3D version. Yep, I'll be putting those glasses on and going into the ghost dimension you know, the series has gotten more recommends than I ever would have imagined when we started it. So I'm curious to see if it goes out on a high note before we get to the direct-to-streaming reboot next week. But yes, our 
fall winter 2021 22 donation drive is coming to a close so if you did want to hear the reviews of the matrix paranormal activity bird box a quiet place ghostbusters don't breathe the strangers you're next there were 40 bonus podcasts available and you only have about 10 more days to get them you can find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And yes, we will be back next week with Scream 5. Marjorie joining us again. I wonder how loud she'll scream. So Jacob, Stuart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, it's time for us to fly. I'm taking the story home. No, you're just playing catch up. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You're not going to find all the answers in this electronic box of yours. They're out there. Now that you've heard the movie review, head to booksandnachos.com to hear Arnie's reviews and analysis of Stephen King's original novels. There's definitely a story here that needs to be told. And also, come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review. Now what we do here is identify and define the cultural archetype of the American mind. In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of Stephen King films, including Sometimes They Come Back, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, Children of the Corn, and more. It's a diary of the deranged and dangerously sick. In our archives are also reviews of film series such as The Avengers, Star Trek, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Scream, Transformers, and RoboCop. You'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's as good as it gets, baby. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You're a very generous man, Mr. Deeds. Only when I have to be. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. How very generous of you. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Now that is ambition. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. This maniac definitely has an influence over these people. I mean, this guy's got spades. Associate produced by Jason. God, I love this job. <laughs> now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. Hard day, hard life. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Am I not all that you hoped for? Am I not all that you thought I would be? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. What do you want me to say? That I was wrong? Just that you might have been wrong? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. I trust you now understand that you can never write of what you know, can never reveal what you have seen. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Creeping like some kind of fucking cancer and pretty soon all this shit starts making sense.
Now playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Let's go, Ray. Honey, he's waiting for us. So if you did want to hear the reviews of The Matrix, Paranormal Activity, Bird Box, Quiet Place, Ghostbusters, A Quiet Place, Ghostbusters, There's one more I can't remember. Don't Breathe. That's it. (laughs) Oh, Strangers. Yeah, we have that whole home invasion thing, huh? Yeah, The Strangers, you're next.